0: So tonight is going to be the first in a series of three talks on the three lower chakras. Tonight we're going to talk about the third chakra. And I'll begin by saying, you know, some of you may be familiar with chakras, some of you may not be. Um, Just on the question, do chakras exist? Do they really exist? And I'll say, you know, the head loves to get fascinated with questions like that and often, often gets, you know, gets locked in a debate which shuts out experience. So rather than even uh, focus on the question, do chakras exist or not, just just pay attention to your experiences tonight. And, and in particular, your experiences in this area of your body as we talk about the third chakra. I'll say very briefly, by way of explanation, um, how should I say this? The the kind of um, Western religion anthropology is that humans are made of a body and a soul, you know, and the and the body is completely material and the soul is immaterial, and then there arises the philosophical question: How could there be any connection between them? The problem of the ghost and the machine, all that. In the East. They, especially in the, the yogic traditions of India, they had a very different idea, this idea that what we saw here, this is called the gross body, and then there was another sort of a layer on it, the subtle body, and then more and more subtle layers, um, ultimately all the way up to divinity. And the chakras are seen as, you might say, major organs on the subtle body. And so the seven chakras, very briefly, a brief tour of the seven chakras. Chakra number one is at the base of the spine. It's at the perineum between the anus and the genitals. Chakra number two is just below the navel. Chakra number three, which we'll talk about tonight, is at the solar plexus. Then heart, base of the throat, brow, and crown. And these are all just good areas on your body just just to be aware of what how in different situations how do these different areas of your body feel what what happens in different situations do you get any information from these different places so the third chakra the third chakra is a lot about boundaries and so a certain amount of tonight's talk is about boundaries. Boundaries and power are really two, two words associated with the third chakra. And I'll begin by saying we live in a, in a culture that doesn't really support good boundaries. Um, in fact, there's all kinds of messages that uh, that really compromise our ability to have good boundaries, you know. All kinds of role models, you know, certainly in soap operas and reality TV, you know, nothing but folks with poor boundaries triggering each other. Um, there's lots of codependence, lots of enmeshment, um, all sorts of dynamics like this in this culture. You know, the, the person who, you know, I'm going to give to you, not because I'm, I'm generous, because, but I'm going to give to you because I need to feel good about myself you know, or I'm going to give to you and then I'm expecting you to to read my mind and satisfy the needs that I'm not going to express myself, you know, all these sorts of things. Sometimes that's called a covert contract. A covert contract is something where I'm acting with a silent expectation. I might not even be aware of it myself. I might be unconscious of it myself, you know. It plays out, say, in a friendship or a relationship, you know. I'll behave, I'll be nice to you, I'll satisfy all your needs, even at my own inconvenience, I'll satisfy your needs, hoping that you're going to mind-read and satisfy my needs, even though I'm I'm not asking for it, you know, that kind of thing. So what do good boundaries look like? What do strong boundaries look like? And they begin by talking about begin to even address that, I'm going to talk about the physical organs in this area, which actually provide a powerful analogy for boundaries. So of course the physical organs in that area are the digestive organs. And what is digestion? Fundamentally, digestion is the miraculous process by which not me becomes me. You know, if you think about it, we all eat, you know, plants and animals, stuff that is not us. And our body very wisely knows how to break all that down into nutrients, you know, amino acids and lipids and all that. It knows how to absorb all the nutrients it needs. It decides very judiciously, all right, this I need, this I need, this I don't need. I'm going to get rid of that. Um, and then it incorporates those nutrients and makes us makes our energy makes our our growth and vitality and so digestion turns not me into me so think about the analog with emotional energies we all have emotional messages coming toward us all the time we had all kinds of messages in childhood in our family of origin, in schools, all kinds of messages about here's who you should be, here's what you ought to be. And then there's lots of messages we get from, from peer groups, from from workplaces, you know, you should be this kind of person, you shouldn't be that kind of person, you should be having these sorts of thoughts, you shouldn't be having those sorts of thoughts, you know. On and on, all these messages. Advertising, of course, pummels us with all kinds of messages, you know basically all variations on the theme of you're inadequate in some way, but let us sell, us, sell you this product and it will make your life better, you know, this sort of thing. And so someone with very good boundaries can receive all those messages and very judiciously decide, and it's not, it's not a head-level decision, it's more almost a, an emotional digestion Be able to digest, okay, here's something that resonates, this will become part of me. That doesn't resonate, I'm going to let that pass. That will become waste. That will not enter into me, you know? And so it's about that more emotional analog of how do I turn not me into me? And so, how do we have good boundaries? And I think there are a few a few kind of elements there. first thing i'll say is that again, an analogy to physical digestion, how do I want to say this when we're relaxed, when we know how to relax, we activate the parasympathetic nervous system, and when we 're in parasympathetic arousal, digestion is at its maximum digestion is is happening as ideally as it can happen when we're stressed then we're activating the sympathetic nervous system and that compromises digestion that 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 partially or fully shuts down digestion which leads to all kinds of digestive issues over time so we don't digest well when we're under stress we digest well when we're relaxed. And I think much in the same way is true of our physical boundaries. We don't have good boundaries when we're stressed. We make poor choices when we're stressed, you know. We make much wiser choices and are much more discerning in our boundaries when we're relaxed. And so just knowing how to relax... That, that's actually a, an incredibly valuable skill in this world. And unfortunately, many people are not acquainted at all with the skills around relaxing. Another thing I'll say, and this is a tricky thing about insults. You know, and of course, part of, part of boundaries is about what we're insulted by or what we're offended by, you know. The insult that lands, the insult that really stings us is an insult that part of us believes. You know, and and I've used this analogy before, but for example, if I say to you, you're a horrible giraffe abuser, like people snicker, no one is offended by that. No one is insulted by that because there's not a single cell of your body that believes for an instant that you've ever abused a giraffe, you know? But if someone says, you know, you're not worthy or, you know, you're not worthy of love or attention or acceptance or affection or something like that, then something like that might sting us more, you know? The insult that really confirms the message of an inner critic, that that is how can I say, that's almost a particularly intimate kind of insult. It's like someone from the outside, and that may totally be by, by accident, but they say the same thing that my inner critic is saying, and it's like they stung a very sensitive part of my being by saying that, you know? And part of the work there is just the work of healing. You know, it, it's this astonishing truth of life that every voice of an inner critic, every voice that is saying something that is insulting, degrading, demoralizing, every single voice like that is a wounded child crying out for our help. Every single voice like that is something that needs tremendous compassion, you know. And part of the healing journey is just to realize, to make that shift and realize, wait a second, That's something I shouldn't be pushing away. That's something I should be feeling into more. Similarly, what does it take for a compliment to land? The compliment that most lands is one that that resonates with something that we actually believe about ourselves. You know, if I don't believe anything good about myself, I'm not really going to be able to accept any compliment, you know. And so, so part of having good boundaries, you might say, is almost act, almost occupying kind of the, the nobility of what it is to be human. You know, Buddhism very much has this worldview that each one of us, underneath our, our surface dysfunctions, is actually very noble. Another part of good boundaries, I would say, is simply feeling into this place, you know, and it's funny because, I mean, even in everyday life, people talk about having a gut feeling, even people who know nothing about chakras will still talk about a gut feeling, and how often has it happened, it certainly has happened a lot in my life, how often has it happened that you had a strong gut feeling about something, But then because you were excited or your head had some good reasons, you thought, oh, it's not going to be a problem. I'm going to go ahead with it anyway. And your head overrides your gut. And then later on you think, why on earth did I do that? You know, I certainly have had that experience many times in life. Um, Part of having good boundaries is really trusting the gut, believing the gut, even being fiercely faithful to those gut feelings. I remember an energy healer once saying, the head can be easily fooled, the heart is sometimes fooled, the gut is never fooled, you know? What would it take to live with a fierce faithfulness toward our gut instincts, you know? And that alone would be someone with good boundaries. Part of good boundaries is owning our yes and owning our no. You know, not giving the yes that really means, well, no, but I'm trying to make you happy. That, you know, the codependent yes. You know, does our yes mean hell yes? And do we own our no? Do we have the ability to say no, even though that sounds fun, even though that sounds pleasurable, even though, I'm sorry to disappoint you, I have to say no out of an act of self-care, you know. It's funny, because I think good boundaries are actually implicit in the Buddhist writings. Obviously, there's nothing explicit in the ancient writings about about the idea of boundaries. Um... But Buddhism has this message that we should embody compassion. We should walk around with a heart of compassion. And I think a lot of you know, left-leaning, you know, idealistic young people hear this message and they, they start walking around with their heart wide open and then the world you know, insults them and knocks them down and makes life difficult for them. And they conclude, at least sometimes they sadly conclude, maybe it isn't a good idea to walk around with my heart open. But I think the missing piece, implicit in the Buddhist writings, is um, we're supposed to cultivate a heart of compassion, but also incredibly strong boundaries. Because if I walk around with very strong boundaries, I can afford to have my heart open, and I'm not going to be knocked around by the world in the same way. And I think we really underappreciate how much, like when we're, we're ha- when we're approaching the journey toward good boundaries, the thing that's kind of difficult and the, the thing that is you know difficult if we've had kind of co- a codependent past is the fact that we have to say no to people, we feel like we're letting other people down to take care of ourselves, you know, that sort of thing. And it's really hard to get that when we have excellent boundaries, we're actually giving a tremendous gift to everyone around us. And we're giving a particular gift to those people who are closest to us. You know, that there's something, there's something very powerful and very life-affirming about the person who has healthy boundaries. And this is, in many ways, why, why the third chakra is called a power center. Because when I really, if I really were to have exceptional boundaries not accepting any insults, but able to accept compliments, able to accept all the beneficial flows coming toward me, but not take in any of the the toxic flows coming toward me, if I were able to do all of that, I would be a very powerful person. And so the third chakra is often called the power center because of that. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet and I am deepest apologies to the folks on Zoom. I don't have a soft version of the quote sheet tonight. I only have a hard copy. So folks on Zoom, you can listen, and, um, and if you go to the, the podcast afterwards, did I give you all my, co- I'll ask you one for me. Thank you. You can ga- download a PDF from the podcast, which will be, available later this evening. So, let's see. take my glasses for this. Um, from Philip Brooks, the great 19th century preacher. Do not pray for easy lives, but pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your power, but pray for power equal to your tasks. Then the accomplishing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself and the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. Ramdas, well, I have to update his, his dates because Ramdas is no longer with us. Ramdas said, the most explicit paradox, as soon as you give it all up, you can have it all. As long as you want power, you can't have it. The minute you don't want power, you'll have more than you ever dreamed possible. Susan Forward, in a provocative book title called Toxic Parents, says, Children who are not encouraged to do, to try, to explore, to master, and to risk failure often feel helpless and inadequate. Overcontrolled by anxious, fearful parents, these children often become anxious and fearful themselves. This makes it difficult for them to mature. Many never outgrow the need for ongoing parental guidance and control. As a result, their parents continue to invade, manipulate, and frequently dominate their lives. An incredibly powerful, simple one from Tony Robbins. You get... What you tolerate. That one is just so powerful and sometimes hard to look at. You get what you tolerate. Stephen Goodyear said Your power to choose can never be taken from you. It can be neglected and it can be ignored, but if used, it can make all the difference. A couple from Brene Brown Compassionate people ask for what they need. They say no when they need to, and when they say yes, they mean it. They're compassionate because their boundaries keep them out of resentment. She also said, When we fail to set boundaries and hold people accountable, we feel used and mistreated. This is why we sometimes attack who they are, which is far more hurtful than addressing a behavior or a choice. Bryant McGill says, Every journey begins with the first step of articulating the intention and then becoming the intention. And relatedly, Bren, Brenna Yunoff said, All great acts are ruled by intention. What you mean is what you get. Jessica Moore said, Having healthy boundaries not only requires being able to say no, but also being willing and able to enforce that no when necessary. Lance Conrad said, People never know what they are capable of until all other options run out. Kevin Donaldson says, Remember, no one has the right to control your emotions, thoughts, and actions unless you let them. And this is related to the Ramdas quote from Divish Mishra. Most powerful is he who never cared for power. I love this quote from Theon Mares. A warrior cuts out all unnecessary acts. In this way, he saves his personal power. Can you feel that quote in your body? A warrior cuts out all unnecessary acts. In this way, he saves his personal power. There's something very powerful about that idea. Dr. Jacinta, I won't even try the last name, she said, Do not wait for the green light. You are the green light. Shahadi Arabi said, When you notice something toxic the first time, don't wait for the second time before you address it or cut it off. Many survivors are used to the wait-and-see tactic, which leaves them vulnerable to a second attack. As your boundaries get stronger, the wait time gets shorter. You never have to justify your intuition a couple from Deborah Day. She said evaluating the benefits and drawbacks of any relationship is your responsibility. You do not have to passively accept what is brought to you. You can choose. She also said your choice is to be passive or active in your response. Cheryl Richardson said, if you want to live an authentic, meaningful life, you need to master the art of disappointing and upsetting others hurting feelings, living with the reality that some people just won't like you. And it may not be easy, but it's essential if you want your life to reflect your deepest desires, values, and needs. Danny Silk said, In order for us to practice self-control, we must have a goal. We must have something we are saying yes to, which necessarily comes with things we must say no to. We use self-control to maneuver ourselves toward this yes. This goal must be entirely our own. The minute another person is choosing or managing goals for us, we have left behind self-control. Darlene Lancer said, allowing bad behavior rewards it. Behavior rewarded is repeated. Don't wait for your anger to confront. Greg Anderson said, Although our intentions can contribute to a lack of total well-being, we also have the power to choose positive behavior and responses. In that choice, we can change every experience of our life. And finally, from Rees Momenikin, in his wonderful book, Rock the Boat, We think emotional nourishment comes from getting our needs met, but that's not how life works. Emotional nourishment comes from growing up. The quest for fulfilling our emotional needs can be endless. We get stuck on a hamster wheel chasing one form of fulfillment after another. People who build their lives around meeting their emotional needs tend to be anxious, fearful, and frustrated. In contrast, people who have accepted the clean pain of growing up have a relaxed readiness and an easy confidence about them. Their focus is not on acquiring fulfillment, but I'm being fully present. Because of that presence, whatever happens has the potential to be emotionally nourishing.